0: Welcome to Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory.
1: Each week we pick a movie, review it, talk about it and discuss some of the themes and ideas that it throws up.
0: And as always, we'll open the recommendations for further watching following this week's film.
1: Before we kick off though, a quick catch up on what else we've been watching. So Rob, what is, uh, what's been on the menu for
0: you? The main thing, that, that the only thing that was on the menu for me is the TV series Stranger Things. Now, it's hard to been online for the last three week, two weeks, and not heard this show mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, admittedly, Sam's been offline for several weeks, yeah. so he may not have heard about it.
1: Um, I, I have been offline, but even I have heard about
0: it. Um, so it's essentially a homage, shall we say, to 80s kids on bikes films. So kids discover a mystery, and investigate a mystery. Adults tend to be more clueless. It's about childhood and friendship and growing up and aliens and the evil government and all of that. If, like me, you're a child of the 80s and grew up watching films like E.T., BMX Bandits, and that kind of thing, this is right in your wheelhouse. It is It is every. It, it, it oozes 80s throwback, 80s throwback. And I bloody loved it, start to finish.
1: Okay. Well, as, as Rob suggests, I've been offline for a couple of weeks because we've moved house. Um, which means I'm currently talking to you from a room full of boxes. And I could barely find my headset, um, but I will definitely uh, check out Stranger Things once we're all set up. Um, it, my watching this week um, has been quite limited, um, although we did go to my partner's mum's house um, not at all to use her internet and shower, and we didn't have either. Um, And I watched the film Moneyball Which I've been meaning to for ages um, Because I like sports and statistics And it seemed like something that I really Was going to get a lot out of And I was not disappointed It was a great film Um, And I was My friend Brad Your friend Brad yeah, Close personal friend of Brad Yes, Uh, yes,
0: yes (laughs) Who I've met twice Who was lovely But only twice
1: I was surprised actually, given um, your aversion to sport of any kind. Um, that's that's a a dig at Rob's general attitude to sport throughout his teenage years. Um,
0: he got you, you say that. Who here has played for a no, national team uh,
1: during your teenage? During, me. During it's your me. teenage years, you were a slob. But like after that, you ran marathons and played frisbee for Wales and and generally became a new man. But as a teenager, you were a catch potato. Um, That's, true. A, a, That's true. Anyway, uh, mind of all, I wasn't expecting you to like it because of this, but I am glad to hear that you did.
0: Well, it's. I think as we touched on early on in uh, the podcast, I do enjoy a sports mm. drama. And whilst this, this is more political drama, I suppose, around sports than sports drama, but I uh, I very much enjoy it.
1: Mm. Oh, it was really good. I enjoyed the acting performances and I, well, I knew the narrative and was still impressed with the, the tension they built throughout. It's a really good piece of work from your friend Brad.
0: My friend Brad, of course.
1: So, this week, um, we are continuing our series the Bourne films, with the third in the franchise, the Bourne Ultimatum. Someone started all of this, and I'm going to find them. This is Jason Bourne, the toughest target that you've ever tracked. He's really good at staying alive and trying to kill him and
0: failing just pisses him off.
1: i I hear you're still looking for me. The Born Ultimatum is the third in the series of films about CIA operative Jason Bourne. Um, as we discussed last week, this may be the film that creates a franchise. Um, maybe it wasn't thought to be a franchise until this point. Uh, Matt Damien reprises his role with support from Joan Allen, David Strathairn, Julius Stiles and others. Um, we start with the aftermath of Jason Bourne's time in Moscow, with which the second film very nearly concluded, though there was that coda added. Uh, Jason Bourne's psychogenic amnesia, as it's uh, called, continues as he searches for answers about Marie's death and his own time with the program, with the Treadstone um, slash Blackbriar slash whatever it is, program. And that's about it. So,
0: Rob, your thoughts? I am conflicted about this film. Okay. I think that it is quite a good action film. It's quite a good tense drama. Mm. I think it's not a great entry into the franchise of the Born world. I think that it forgets a lot of the previous films. I think it forgets uh, Marie almost entirely. I think that he's probably strayed a bit too close to being superhuman now. Um, in some of his his ways and means. that He felt early on, he felt in the film, kind of, we've discussed in the past, kind of sloppy and slapdash and real. Whereas here, it feels a little bit too, at times too, I don't know... Genius. So a few times where he, he evades capture and he helps the the um, the journalist evade capture. He knows exactly what's happening. Exactly, you know, he's gone from being an operative, which he was in the first one, to being the most dangerous man on earth by this one. Mm. And I appreciate if like in any franchise, you've got to raise the stakes. You've got to keep changing how the film exists. Like, it's always the same film again. And in many ways, this, this is kind of the same film again. There are lots of tropes that come back you know improvised weapons close quarters of combat breaking and destroying cars he drives through things you know him having weird flashbacks and memories you know that, that thing you know the betrayal of elderly white guys in passages of power in america and all that kind of thing but i did enjoy the film i enjoyed this one probably more than i enjoyed last week um, and I'd say it's probably, in terms of a, a film, it's the one I've enjoyed the most out of the three yeah. so far. Yeah. Sam?
1: Um, I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned, because you, you said how the film almost entirely forgets Marie, and that was one of the things I liked about this film, um, was the way in which Marie's death is, is given quite a prominent role, I think, at the beginning, Um. There are, there are some very I mean this one best editing Oscar and I'm not surprised there are some very nicely edited sequences and one of them has um Jason Bourne's indoctrination um on the program and Marie's life and Marie's death and they're intercut in a really in a really good way and so i was I, w- I was surprised by that how how much Marie felt a part of this film. Um, and I think also you have the echoes, you have the sequences between Jason Bourne and Nikki in the cafe, uh, and Nikki cutting and dyeing her hair, and both of those are, are straightforward echoes of the first film. But they're, they're sort of throwbacks to Marie. And you think, what must Jason be feeling at this point? Uh, but then you also you also have the the nice little. Um, Allusion from Julia Starrs to a previous relationship between Nikki and Bourne, um, and she mm. suggests that there's something that's gone on that Bourne doesn't remember. I mean, that that seems to be a feature of all these films. Um, but I did I did like those echoes of the of the first film in particular.
0: I suppose I, di- I didn't feel those there. Like, I thought the first one. First one's about him, working out who he is, and he almost stumbles upon the action and the trouble. Second one, Marie's killed; he wants that avenged. The third one, it just—I don't know—I didn't. I appreciate it that he reasons why he was doing the things were to find out his history, but I felt that the end of the first one is him coming to terms with his history and moving on. Mm. And I, it just—it felt contrived. Yes. This stuff here—it felt contrived to bring him back to America, and. One um, well, Another thing I've completely on is this, the time frame of this film. As you mentioned in your introduction there, it takes place kind of straddling the second film. Mm. So you've got like, the, the, the coda of the first film is kind of midway through this film. And I I, I like that in the idea that it isn't a straight sequel, but at the same time, I felt it kind of undercut the ending of the second film. Like, it's a nice little moment the second one. Yes. Because yeah. it's like... You know, it's a nice little moment, and then by over-explaining why he's there and what he's doing and all that kind of stuff, it's like, well, that's, that's a less cool moment mm. now. Um, and I think that's—I don't know—it's it, 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 it's, as I say, I think I enjoyed it as a as a filmic unit, I enjoyed it the most. But as an entry into the franchise, I think it starts to move into the area you get with franchises with, with linear Jones, where. It sort of lose its way in terms of a continuation of a film. Mm.
1: And that... You're right, actually. When when you get that sequence for the second time with Pam and the, uh, the skyscraper and it becomes a, a, a part, integral part of the plot to this, the, the third film, it, it kind of changes the tone of it. And it's a bit... Mm. Yeah, there's, I suppose it is a bit disappointing because... You had it in the second film. It was like a nice round-off and it was basically Jason saying, "Look, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore." And and by yes. the time of the middle of the third film, you know very definitely that's not what he's saying. I suppose that
0: exactly. And also, this this leads another issue I have for this film, which is, I think there are some gaping plot holes. In the, in the scene you mentioned Pamela Landry gives him what is in the first film said to be his date of birth mm. this is revealed in the second film to be Adele Bluffer is giving him the address of the mm. in which he was trained how would he know that wasn't his date of birth and um, yeah he, he mm. you know, that's the first time he's heard his name um, and that's the first time he'll have heard his date of birth so it isn't like he will have known that was a lie. He just heard date of birth, and we assume worked out that it was. Um, we also, I, I still don't entirely understand why Nicky and Pamela are helping him so much. Mm. He's clearly enemy number one, and both of them destroy their careers to help him. Yeah, and I appreciate they, they feel a bit element of sorrow for him and what he's been through, but I just didn't get the emotional leap in those characters of why they've gone from being died in the wool CIA agents to willing to go rogue for Jason. Yeah. Nikki, I kind of bought you felt there was some tension there, there was some sexual attraction there, there's something going on there. But I just didn't understand what was going on there. I don't think they earned that betrayal by power. No.
1: And when and and Jason addresses that right at the end, he says, Why are you helping me? I don't understand like why you're on my side and Pam says words to the effect of, well, he's worse than you. And you think, well, no, he's not. I mean, yes, he is. We, we, we know that from watching the film. But if you were in her position, you'd just have, like, a bit of a heavy-handed boss.
0: Yeah, and ultimately, like, I mean, not wishing to be, no you know, disbanding here, but you're a high-level operative in the CIA, mm-hmm. It doesn't scan. You suddenly get turned off by the idea of them killing yeah. people. You know, like the, the, in in the the born world, the CIA funded Black Buyer, funded Treadstone. Like clearly, they are involved in killing people. Mm. You know, and and this is where I think these still often kind of. I mean, with Indiana Jones. It goes from being one agency. And one person and one operative to being the agency and the, the operative, you know, it, it, suddenly he becomes the best in the world. Everything it becomes the worst thing he's ever done. All this sort of thing. Mm. And you have to raise those stakes, and I think the, the idea of raising stakes is, is somehow here. It gets conflated into meaning raise everybody. You know, if you've got born in the first film, overcomes, you know, a corruption. Um, in the system, well, to up the stakes, he doesn't become better, he faces something else different. He has to work harder for it. Um, and if we touch on to the, the diehard films down the line, this, that was the, the quintessential sort of curve of, of competency in John McClane. First film, Scrappy, just gets by. Last film, punches a plane out of the sky. Yeah. And I think this film strays towards that.
1: It it is slightly, yeah. I see what you're saying, i I think I'm I'm swayed by the fact that this film has two of what I consider to be just about the greatest scenes in 21st century cinema, which are that the the chase sequence with um, Bourne and Nikki and let Dash. Um I really I love that, um, and then the sequence in which Jason Bourne gets Novos and out of his office and then gets him to open the safe, I just think that's so cool. And I, at that point, like, I can forgive plot holes and the fact that, I mean, his date of birth changes so much, but I can, I can forgive mm. that because.
0: It's just amazing cinema. I—that's that, that, what I'm saying. I think, I think it's a great mm. film, and it feels like a good Bond film. Yeah. But in the way that the first one felt like a reaction to Bond films, but not a Bond film. This time he felt—I don't know—he felt more, more like Sherlock in always being one step ahead of everybody. Yeah. And I think I—I I just enjoyed Bourne more when he was one step behind.
1: Yeah, it it's kind of that thing that we saw with with the early indie films that he was just sort of just about getting by and only just sliding under the door before it trapped him, and he was only just yeah. doing things and he wasn't a superhuman. And it was yeah that that sequence with the journalist at the beginning in the station. You think how does he know? How how yeah. does how does he know when the right time to tie his shoelaces and. And where where this where where how can you even know where the sniper's is going to be? It's just
0: yeah, it's it, it. It just felt a bit like he he raised the game too high and too mm. fast. Um, and I just felt that like we, we we were dealing with a a superhuman operative rather than just a good operative, you know?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and, and I think it was. But as I say, it, it, it was—I think it was worse for that as an entry into the canon. But at the same time, in terms of you know superhero spy films, I really, really enjoyed it. It was a very much enjoyable film to watch.
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. That it—it's—I mean, it's a—it's an enjoyable film, but it is kind of a different film, I suppose. That's what you're saying with the the reaction to Bond films, mm. and then becomes a Bond film because you're right. It's it is great, but this is no longer what the first film was.
0: Exactly, exactly. But I mean, that being said, I think that everyone in it is good. Mm. I, I, and I think you're right. I think that the, the scene in which he tricks them out of the office is a great scene. And it's like you you don't see it happening until it suddenly happens. You're like, oh, God, that's clever yeah. You know, that's clever. Um, and it wasn't so many levels. And I think, you know, the action scenes are still great. The scene with um, Paddy Constantine as Simon Ross, the um, journalist. Is a very, very tense scene and you really you really get stuck into it it's very good. Um, but I do think you start to lose something as, as the as the, the trend transit mm.
1: That that's that the the scene the sequence with Desh is I mean I've seen this film many, many times and I I feel tense watching that sequence thinking will Nikki escape? Will Bourne get to her in time? Mm. And you think that this is ridiculous. I know exactly what's going to happen, but Green Ghost is so good at, at winding up that tension that it doesn't really matter.
0: But that, that's that's why I come back to being a a good film in that mm. respect. But I think it. I think it, I, I, I haven't. I must say, like with next week we're talking about the Bourne Legacy, and after that, just Jason Bourne. I must have never seen any of those before, so those are fresh watches for me. But I'm really hoping we start to move into the world where the bad guy isn't vice principal of CIA. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I can't I I may be wrong, but it just felt like we are fighting an endless series of people who work at the CIA who are trying to screw Bourne. And I think I would like to see Bourne go up against something else.
1: Mm.
0: Whether that happens, I don't know, and obviously Bourne legacy doesn't involve Bourne as, as a character himself. You've got Jeremy Renner, so that would be an interesting different one. Mm. But I think at this point, I'm ready for this franchise to go away. I think it's done its time. Yeah. I think, well. He says halfway through after <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I said right at the start that this was a film that turned it into a franchise, and he was saying mm. here that this is a film that kind of ends the franchise. So it's. The, the tone of this film and the franchise as a whole shifts very quickly
0: but this is what we discussed in the past about when does a series of films become a franchise mm. and here I think that this operates well as a trilogy an encased trilogy of films but you're right we move from here to the next film is when it becomes this franchise um, and it's and I, I'm, I'm talking about wanting to see him fight something else oh yeah. But that's that. that's like the the second he starts fighting a different bad guy is when it becomes a franchise. This is him versus the CIA, and at the end of uh, at the end of um, Ultimatum, he gets his resolution against the CIA. He gets outed. Um, you know his name's on the news. They're on the news. Everything's revealed. Mm. Um, and I think like this works as a trilogy, but the next film, on the moment when this becomes something else, is when we start to move into the world of. Um, legacy and I think that's where you with Dash that's the first inkling of that of here's another operative who we see. And once you had some in the first one and second one, you you don't spend as much time with them as you do with Dash mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And I think there's a you felt after to me it felt like they, they were starting to ramp up this this um franchise feeling. One last quick note before we move on something else. I was disappointed with the ending. Right. The very last shot, and this is, this is like ultimate point Bourne has just jumped off the roof, having been shot, and he's lying in the water. And then he starts to swim. Now, why were you
1: disappointed? And I appreciate, I,
0: because I felt like this. This was the bit where the editing I felt was like you. You, you'd go, you should have had. You should have had him lie in the water, and then do sort of one kick and cut to black. Rather than what you have, which is these sort of ten seconds in yes. swings, that you should have that moment of like his life and then it cuts. And whilst I don't ever want to recommend someone watches Batman vs Superman, the very end of that, when the the dirt lifts off the, off the um, off the coffin and cuts and then cuts to black, that's the moment you want. You want the moment of oh my god, he's dead. No, he's not. Yeah. He's ever. And that's how you launch the franchise. It just felt like for a film that had been so tight on the editing throughout and the and showing just what you need to see felt like an indulgence Mm.
1: yeah I suppose there are moments of that at the end of film the the only Christopher Nolan film you will count has a bit like that right at the end when you don't know about the top at the end of Inception and you realise that what it's doing has ramifications for the whole of the film and the existence of the people in the film.
0: Oh, I would, quick, quick diversion. There's. It's not the only one I'm encountered. I just don't like his Batman films.
1: No, you, you can, you like
0: the prestige as well. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy Memento. It's just Batman. <laughs> okay,
1: just Batman.
0: We'll talk about that another time.
1: Right, Rob, do you have any recommendations?
0: I do, I do. I have two. Um, my first, both act based this week. Cause I think when you start getting sort of third into a franchise like this, you you, you kind of played all the. Uh, I like spy film card you've got. So just get looking at actors thinking who's great, What the I think. So first up, playing the uh, the ill-fated journalist Simon Ross was Paddy Constantine. Constantine? Constantine. Um, a regular in British films. And I want to sort of pimp out his 2013 film, The World's End. The third and final part of the Connecticut trilogy from uh, Simon Frost... Simon Frost? Yeah. Nick Frost and Simon Pegg.
1: Basically from Simon Frost. Very often
0: Yes. Very often considered the, the, the lesser of the three, and certainly often the most forgotten of the three. I have a lot of time for this film, and having rewatched it recently, I'm a bigger and bigger opponent of the film. It isn't as amazing, I think, as the first two things. I think they are they they deserve all the plaudits they get. But if this film hadn't come as the third part of a trilogy composing of those two it will be held up far higher than mm. it is. So, underrated gem, The World's End, uh, from Edgar Wright, Sam Pegg, and Nick Frost.
1: Now, I'm fairly sure that I recommended that quite recently, but I've got no way of proving that because my record to one of boxes, so, yeah. Yeah, Fair nice enough. one,
0: Sam. <laughs> yeah, well, well yeah. done, Sam. Well done. So, my second recommendation is following on... Uh, Scott Glenn, who plays Ezra Kramer in Born Ultimatum and he was a face I recognised and I thought, oh, where do I know you from? Where do I know you from? And I was racking my brains and I think this film is, that I'm going to recommend now is going to be a bit divisive. I'm not sure if something with me all, Sam will turn on me like the turncoat he is um, but I'm going to recommend the 2011 film Sucker Punch Right, okay Director Zack Snyder starring Emily Browning, starring a young girl who gets institutionalised by her father and retreats into alternate reality within an imaginary landscape. Um, It is shiny and everything that style does well. It is violent and sexual and weirdly uplifting but at the same time dehumanising and it gets a lot of stick as a film um, but I I very much enjoy watching it I think it is as a visual film is one of the best out there in, in recent years, you know, you can see the echoes of 300 and Watchmen and whilst Zack Snyder isn't very good at tying together any kind of plot or emotion or competence of story, he is certainly a visual stylist and this film feels like him just throwing everything at the wall, every he's had, and it comes together, and I think it works.
1: Right. Well, actually, the first of my recommendations this week is also Scott Glenn, but it's not, you'll be surprised to know that it's not Sucker Punch. Um, as, I'm not sure I'm surprised. No, sure. no it's heavily ironic. Surprised. Um, Scott Glenn was also. A, it was someone else. It was someone that I thought. Uh, where have I seen you from? I don't know your face. He was, and I'm going to branch off from film into TV a little bit, although box sets. Not sure. In between, um, he was stick in the first series of Daredevil. Well, first both series of Daredevil. In fact, so, yeah, Um
0: of which I'm still to see.
1: It's very good. So, well, you're going to have lots of time on your hands where you can't move because you're really weighed down by a tiny human, so you can get into it in
0: September. I'm not sure the ultra TV show Daredevil is well to we be watching when you want, baby.
1: Well, sleep mask, really tiny headphones. Fair enough. <laughs> My second one is, again, as Rob said, it's difficult at this point not to go for actor recommendations. So, my second one is Joan Allen, who played Pamela Landy. And it, it, we, we haven't mentioned this film in a while, so let's give a shout-out to 1997's Face Off. Excellent. Um, and next week, uh, I'm pleased to hear, actually, that Rob hasn't seen it, because it's be really interesting. Um, it, interesting to get his thoughts next week. And see whether or not he was disappointed by the outcome, um, the identity of the bad guys, the direction of the film.
0: It will I'm be sure. interesting to see how how it goes.
1: Yes, uh, I'll wait that with interest. If you want to get in touch with us, please do. Um, we're both on Twitter at Prestige Podcast.
0: You can find just me at Rob Kaiju.
1: Or just me at life underscore academic.
0: And we'll see you back here next week for The Born Legacy. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries.